Hi everyone. Welcome to episode 14 of Spoken Word with Electronics. Tonight's episode is on alien life forms and their allergy to the earth. They can't visit us anymore because of our technology. It's too noisy with electromagnetic radiation. If you have any space aliens who are friends and you've invited them to visit, they've probably told you this. So we'll discuss that. And also a continued meditation this week on insects. We have so much to discuss about insects from last week. A lot of the material carried over to this week. You will learn this week about wax moths, dragonflies, and all the weird places ears can appear when they're not fixed onto your head. Grasshoppers have them on their legs, and that's probably more interesting to space aliens. I know that when space aliens were visiting the planet, grasshoppers were pretty in love with them. So to that point, we also discuss human hubris and our certainty that humans are in fact identified as anything worth caring about to an alien race when they visit Earth. I don't know if you've followed space alien sightings over the last 50 years, but they really try avoiding us. They're like Bigfoot. I would imagine deers and frogs have probably had a lot of contact with space aliens. But whenever a human shows up, they blur away so much so that we see it as an amazing blessing to have seen an alien craft, but really we're hectoring them. We're hasslers. I mean, they, they might like Earth a lot, but they don't want anything to do with humans. We can't control ourselves. I doubt if I were not a human, I would want anything to do with humans. It's human arrogance to think that we would be the best ambassadors for this planet. Tonight's episode is on alien life forms and their relatively recent allergy to our planet. Aliens don't visit Earth anymore. You've probably read about this in the space travel news. The Yelp reviews for Earth have been really ugly the last few decades. I've translated a few of them. Space aliens always used to find Earth behavior kind of arcane and far too violent. But they now complain about our pollution. When I say that word, you're probably thinking smog. But that's not the case at all. When the Industrial Revolution began, Earth was seen as a resort for many of the carbon-huffing organisms. Uh, many space aliens couldn't get enough of all our gas. Carbon, sulfur, you name it. Crude oil, they loved it. Earth was known as a great place to huff the cloud. The pollution that aliens can't stand is our technology. Uh, electromagnetic radiation specifically. And it's been suggested that our inability to detect EMF in our bodies is an indicator of how crude and underdeveloped Earthlings really are. There are creatures on the planet Earth that actually can detect EMF. We'll talk about them. Bees are a great example. Despite our most vain interest in being psychic, if we had a sixth sense, it would likely follow how evolution has given us additional skills. It would likely be electromagnetic reception. This is found on other creatures, uh, sonar as well. 
there are no psychic animals that we know of yet. I mean, my cat is psychic. I've had a couple of psychic dogs, but you know what I mean. Other animals develop sonar and other sorts of perception of energy. That's proven by science. The seventh sense might be the uh, psychic one, followed by telekinesis. So it would be psychokinesis followed by telekinesis. And by that point, probably our entire world culture would be destroyed because we wouldn't be able to tolerate the sounds of all our technology. We'd know exactly what somebody was thinking and we'd be able to use our own mind to throw a chair at them. Of course, aliens have all three of these skills right from birth. Uh, aliens are both EMF detecting, psychic, and telekinetic. If you were to say they're not, they might joke, what am I, human? That's an alien joke. They love that joke. We are uh, largely the laughing joke of the entire universe. It's kind of fun to think of maybe there are 900 different space creatures. It's like the cantina scene in Star Wars. Did you ever consider how many planets are needed to have life in Star Wars for that cantina scene to even exist? And we can't find a single one of them? It probably is that we are just ignored or they are hiding from us. They're waiting for us to figure out our own problems. And if they get TV, oh my gosh. You know, they can probably receive TV with their head. And I don't think we're really broadcasting the, the sharpest examples of what it means to be a human. I don't know the last time I saw any science or art or literature thoroughly discussed on American TV. Space aliens are, of course, much more sophisticated and developed than us humans. And to them, EMF is loud and intolerable feedback. To explain where EMF comes from, you're surrounded by it right now and you're listening to it. Every single electronic device we add to the Earth makes electronic magnetic radiation. And if you think of a crowd effect, it makes the Earth louder and louder and louder with every device. Ends up being a screaming ball. A visit to Earth feels like being surrounded by a cloud of tasers to a space alien. Or think of a hundred gnats everywhere on your face or in your mind. It's uh, really a nuisance. You know, it's like walking into a spider web and just uh, slapping at your face to try and get it off. That's what EMF feels like to the space aliens. So what was once a perfect travel destination that didn't have technology, think about all the years that space aliens visited and we have all these questionable <laughs> examples in the surviving architecture. Uh, they did for all those years before we started making these electronics. So what was once a perfect travel destination now feels like a constant parade of jackhammers. A lot of history includes some heavy suggestions of contact from aliens. There's theories about Egyptian pyramids being alien beacons, Stonehenge being an alien communicator, and Kubrick's 2001 suggests aliens provided us a monolith, or the alien itself was a monolith, that brought us consciousness about tools and weapons. If you follow the timeline of human existence, alien contact with humans was 
very plausible pretty much right up until the 1950s. In fact, a lot of people felt that aliens were real, and perhaps this is because they were visiting us more regularly. Mars attacks and the War of the Worlds hoax were effective specifically because of the sense of the world that aliens were truly nearby. This can be considered perhaps a kind of uh, awareness that is common to when you feel something near you. This happens all the time when you are out in the woods and you look back and you see, you know, like a deer or something. But the nearby sense of aliens being near seems to end very soon after Mars attacks and that sort of thing in the 50s and 60s. This is because electronics were becoming more and more part of our world. Certainly, they existed before this in uh, vacuum tubes and uh, basic plug-in things, and electricity had been around for centuries. But it wasn't until the transistor was invented in 1947 that we began the steps towards an electronic world. Space aliens also refer to 1947 as the year Earth became crazy. They're taught that in space elementary school. The transistor improved and Bell Labs introduced the MOS transistor about 12 years after that in 1959. At this point, the idea of solid state started to be designed. The most space aliens started to hear the writing on the wall at that point. Earth was about to get intolerably, painfully loud. The 1960s and 70s saw a massive increase in production for all things to be a device. Weird, unnecessary things like machines that stir would be very exciting in kitchens. Typewriters, which had been manually operated, would suddenly become electronic. Uh, radios would be incorporated with gigantic pushing uh, receivers. Solid state technology was the new idea. One alien history book states, the replacement of glowing, kind vacuum tubes, which we can tolerate, into screeching transistors created a revolution in Earth annoyance that was not just in technology, but had infected Earth people's entire habits. Everything screamed, including transistor radios, cassette tape players, walkie-talkies, and worst of all, watches. The following is from a space alien brochure entitled Earth is Intolerable. They even wear that shit on their arms. Watches made it impossible to walk up to a human without starting to scream in agony. It was the only technology they consistently wore on themselves for many, many years. Sometimes they would have a calculator, but those were more quiet. A watch drove a space alien nuts. And once we started wearing digital watches, we were done. There'd be no more conversation with the aliens. In terms of creatures on the Earth that detect EMF and love it, 
Cats are a clear example. Cats love electronic synthesizers, the buzzing and the fuzzing as they call it. That a room full of synthesizers is irresistible to a cat, especially when it's making its highest, craziest sounds. Cats love napping on keyboards too. In both their affection for keyboards and their love of loud, weird electronic emissions, both are perceived as gentle, low wattage EMF to a cat's partially psychic mind. So cats love EMF. But uh, cats are not space aliens. Space aliens can't stand the stuff. They do not like electromagnetic radiation. The 1980s and 1990s showed aliens in science fiction in some good TV shows and movies, X-Files and Close Encounters being good examples. This was pretty much Aliens last year's here. The clarity of the pop culture representation in X-Files and Close Encounters would be one of the last times Hollywood knew how to actually present what an alien life form is like. This is because at the time we were still in contact with alien life forms. When they left, we no longer had the ability to accurately represent aliens on film, and that's why we've had to use CGI since. Think about it. Yeah, oh, sorry. Things have uh, just become far too painful to tolerate with digital consoles. Aliens can't stand them. They don't like flat screens. Cathode tubes were actually kind of pleasant drug habit for them at one point. It's not too terrible. It's very noisy, but it's so dissipated but they cannot stand an LED light. And so really the move to flat screens was just the last straw with regard to alien contact and humans. We were just too fucking annoying. We were just becoming too loud. <laughs> the move to cell phones just sealed the deal. And the arrogant move from cell phone makers to no longer make devices user serviceable meaning your ability to open and remove a battery or gain access to a circuit board that's all sealed off to you this is new in terms of what people expect from electronics and they justify it with things like it being waterproof or you know the uh, the tightness of the design but it's bad design from people and this is also adding to a huge amount of pollution in the real kind in the world and that's cell phones are designed to be disposed and not fixed. So these companies can constantly sell more and more devices. You know, if a button goes out on something, a normal user person's like, well, this phone is now broken. The button broke. I need a new phone. Should be that they expect what pieces are going to break, and that's made to be user serviceable. A good example is your spark plugs in your car are designed to be user serviceable because they expect those things to fail and they shouldn't make it that you have to buy a new car because of that so most cars come with the ability to change out your own spark plug <laughs> i remember i paid for an extra battery on my ipod and it came with this uh, blue crowbar to open it up to put a battery in there that would double or triple its battery and it was the last time i've ever opened up a single piece of apple gear and putting it back together was such a piece of shit. It was so much of a mess, but I got a bigger battery in there. Felt great. I think it was called the iTool. A tool designed to open up a iPod. And this is a first generation iPod or a second one, the one with the wheel. 
I don't think you could uh, crack open a phone like that now. You need the special hex screw, screwdriver, and all that stuff, which is a proprietary screw head that alien, uh, I almost said that aliens, that Apple puts on their uh, products so that a regular screwdriver set cannot be used to open them up if you really want to. Again, the alien life forms, a smarter life form than us, find this to be extremely tacky, and they wonder why Apple is doing this. Because certainly consciousness is a kind of development between a higher life form where they stop being petty about shit that doesn't matter and money is the first thing to go. <laughs> so if Apple is supposed to be the most intelligent company in the world, they're doing something pretty stupid by caring about profits and making more and more of these iPhones. They should just work on making these one iPhone that you're allowed to upgrade with a new chip the only way it comes out you don't need to buy a new phone and the button can be replaceable and everything you can just buy components you know you could probably at that point be like well yeah you know a phone is $600 but I'm going to have it for 45 years <laughs> they could give you that phone right now it's hilarious you know Apple could make just as much money selling you components they probably buy two phones just as a spare backup of every key component but that's not the model they think they think the model is to get rid of these things and the alien life forms think that that is a real category for improvement in Apple computers performance evaluation coming up at the end of the year with space life the idea of the cell phone, by the way, is considered a uh, example of Steve Jobs' communication with aliens. I'm joking about aliens not visiting, or maybe I'm not. I'm not sure about alien life. One part of me views the Earth as a strange stage for our mortal existence. I don't know for certain how real things are, but I know that I'm mortal right now, and Sometimes I like to wonder if, if this is our one opportunity to be mortal and that we all live it out on this uh, one stage, you know, but that it leads to other things. Think about that just in terms of an experience sense. That's an interesting idea. But it gets pretty weird for me when I think that we're really just a planet in a <laughs> solar system in a galaxy and blah blah in a universe and that every time you look up into the stars you're seeing you know you're you're seeing just solar systems that to me seems a lot less tangible or real or explainable compared to the idea of an afterlife and this being the one time that you're immortal a mortal not you know like this is the one time that we get to be human and we can make it matter or we can't so, in a way, I think this is just our one opportunity to be mortal, and we live it out here. But if the galaxy is real, sure, we, uh, we must have other life. I think the, uh, the actual characteristics of a real alien is probably as inconceivable for us as, I don't know, abstract painting was to people before it existed. Not unlike what disco might have sounded like to a Baroque audience in the 1500s. That's one of my favorite parts of art is when it was uh, politic for our perceptions. Now I think about how painting went from being crude to 
illustrative or depictive of something to then like super realism and then it but it still just sort of like was accelerating on its fidelity and then it got to the point where art knew what a representation of something was it had figured out light and it had figured out shadow it had figured out texture and all these things that really had scrutinized this for the world and in a lot of ways this was when art was ahead of science but it wasn't until science started to come in that art was then allowed to become a riddle or become um, a challenge you know think about all the art that you really like a lot of it's pretty mental you know it's driven by concept or idea or you know if it's a film it's got that great ending you know that's what we really love and that didn't happen for a while and I think about that I think about what that world is like sometimes like what was it like when people were confused by like abstract expression or something they were confused by walking in and seeing a bunch of scribble on a <laughs> on a canvas they wouldn't it was angering to them it wasn't like this is beautiful and I'm not pro minimalist in terms of art I'm just giving it as an example like it it was un inconceivable for some time humorously I have a few friends who don't believe in a higher power but do represent a lot of religious characteristics <laughs> Like they say that they are atheists, but they will also be superstitious. And they just nullify one another. <laughs> how, how can you not believe in God or an afterlife, but yet you're convinced of something afterlife-driven or consequential or fates or all these things? These are all the things that go into being superstitious. It's accepting a lot of uh, weird uh, magical agreements, you know, and yet you're an atheist. That, that does crack me up. I often do realize that friends of mine who are atheists, it's actually an authority reaction really to their upbringing. I, this is something I've noticed, uh, at least with my atheist friends, and for a while that was uh, most of my friends. They were delivered authority pretty early in life, and they resented it. So I think that's part of being an atheist, is, is uh, declaring an end to authority. It's not a godlessness but it can be too, you know. It's weird stuff. It's very different than agnostic, but you know, that, that, you know, agnostic is where I think a lot of people end up sort of like, well, I think something's there. I think something's there, but I'm not sure what it is. I'd like to think something is there. It's kind of like if you want to be a punk or an anarchist in that kind of community, community of thought, that group, you declare yourself an atheist. And you also, I have noticed, when you do this, tend to really believe in flying saucers. <laughs> and I'm not making a joke. Um, so much so that I like to mention to my friends who are atheists, who believe heavily in, in flying saucers, that it's their belief system. It makes them very upset, typically, but then they'll also point to experiences. A lot of them keep citing experiences number of experiences where they've seen something, seen a spacecraft. Almost every time somebody gives you this story, it's about being outside somewhere far away, often in the dense woods or miles out of the city or in the mountains. And to this, I suggest the EMF radiation theory. 
Uh, I've used my uh, Soma Ether out there and there's far less human technology radiation out in those parts of the world. It barely picks up anything. It just sounds like an FM radio. There's no, no, there's just noise or silence when you're out there using one of these detections. So maybe that's why the uh, aliens are still traveling out there. But EMF isn't the only thing in our skies. There's also insects with their own illumination. So let's jump to track two, an appreciation of ladybugs. You're listening to Spoken Word with Electronics. Thanks for listening. 